The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello and welcome. This is the latest edition of the Fitness Reborn podcast. This is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest today is Yogi Aaron. And he's joining us. Where are you joining us from anyway? I'm right now. I'm in Costa Rica. Oh, nice. Nice. I think I did read that in your bio. Yes. what's (laughs) What's the temperature there right now? Well, right now it's a little bit in the green season, so we get a little bit more rain and um, the temperature is a little lower. So, but cold for us is around 78 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, you know, that's a, you're going to make a lot of people listening to this pretty jealous because I'm in Iowa right now. And uh, we are, yeah, we are getting into the, we're in fall, but we've had a very nice fall so far, but we, we know what's coming around the bend here. And, um, you know, this weekend was full of like low seventies temperatures and it was, it felt very good, felt very good. But we know that those days are winding down and before long, it's going to get completely miserable outside. Yeah. I feel your pain. (laughs) (laughs) So Costa Rica, Costa Rica sounds just awesome right now. Yeah. Um, I've I've been living here for about 15 years and came here to open up a yoga retreat center um, that I got inspired, you know, many, many years ago to create something, create a yoga sanctuary right. and on, um, uh, a drive down a road to the retreat, the place that we were going to have the retreat, there was a century 21 sign outside and I saw it and I don't know, there's just like that, that moment, that aha moment kind of like came so strong. And it was like, you are meant to do something here. And so we did. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you you went down there specifically to open up a yoga retreat center. Yeah. Um, No, I was, I was, I was already leading yoga retreats uh, in Costa Rica. I was leading retreats many places, but, but as I was leading these retreats, I kept thinking like, I really could do this so much better. <laughs> and, and, okay. and I also really wanted to have like a, a, um, like I said, a yoga sanctuary to create yoga community. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Costa Rica seems like a neat, a neat, a neat place for a lot of things. You're not the first person who I've talked to who is doing something in Costa Rica, something that's pretty off the grid, you yes. know, um, to those of us living in, you know, you know, the other parts of the Western world here in the UK and the United States and elsewhere too. Like Costa Rica mm-hmm. seems like it's just really open and fertile ground for just kind of groundbreaking activity. Yeah. There's kind of, I, I think there's a few yoga meccas, but um, like Mexican uh, Yucatan is one mm-hmm. of them. The Bali is another. And then of course, Costa Rica and Costa Rica has become a huge, uh, yoga Mecca. There's all kinds of yoga retreat centers all over the country that have, uh, cropped up, but also where we are in Costa Rica, which is on a place called the Osa Peninsula, there's like 2% biodiver 2.5% of the earth's biodiversity 
is all like in this really tiny little place um, of the world. And it's really cool like to be here. Um, we have so much wildlife and it just, it's, it, we're right by the beach and it's just always green and beautiful. So it's quite something to be here. Sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. Maybe someday, someday I'll, yeah. I'll get there someday. I all hope right, so. so. Yeah. Right, man. So, all right, Aaron. So what I do, what I typically do is like, I like to go right back to the very beginning. Okay. So what mm -hmm. got us to this point here that you and I are on this call talking to one another and just what's the story of Yogi Aaron? Oh boy. So do you want to go to conception or? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we can, we can skip, we can skip that part. I think, well, I think we can get that part of it. <laughs> my, my mother loves telling that story. So it's ingrained in me, but no, when I was, when I was 18 years old, I started doing yoga. I was a very active person when I was um, in my younger years. I canoed. Um, we went, I would go on three week canoe trips. I snowshoed. I, um, worked out incessantly. I just was very active. I was a lo uh, long distance runner. And when I was 18, I started to realize like, I'm really tight. And what's the solution? If you're tight, start doing yoga. And so I started doing yoga and it was right around the exact same time shortly afterwards that I threw my back out for the first time. And I mean, you can imagine like you're 18 years old and throwing your back out and, and being debilitated like that. And so what did I do to fix the problem? <laughs> I did more yoga and stretching. I mean, really, when I say yoga, I'm talking about stretching right now. And so I, over the years, I got more and more and more into yoga and I got more and more into stretching. And what happened at the exact same time uh, was I just kept hurting myself more and more and more. I started developing uh, problems in my knees. I started pro developing problems in my neck and shoulders. Actually, at one point, when I was around the age of 31, I had this searing neck pain uh, that started shooting down into my arms. So there was definitely some structural issues that started happening as well. And it all kind of culminated right around when I was around 35, uh, 36 at that age. And I went to go see one of my students who was using this technique called muscle activation technique. And I didn't really understand it completely at the moment. Um, but what happened was when I went to go see him, the pain in my body was around nine out of 10. So it was really intense. Um, yeah. And and it, it actually started with me throwing my neck out and then it just progressively got worse over a, right. a couple of week period. I actually went down to Costa Rica. That was my second trip to Costa Rica at that point. And so I was teaching this yoga retreat with the searing neck pain. It was horrible. So when I got back to New York, I went to go see Eric and he brought the pain from like a nine out of 10 down to like a one, two out of 10. And, wow. you know, no drugs, no stretching, nothing was doing that. Like, sure, stretching would feel good in the moment, but moments later, the neck pain would always return. And I started to see Eric on and off for several years, and I started to glean um, some of these kind of techniques. And he always said to me, like, 
you're in pain because muscles are not working properly. If we want to get you out of pain, we need to get these muscles working. And and then he started to tell me like how stretching was always debilitating muscle function. I didn't kind of really pay attention to it until 2015. And then some other light bulb moments sort of happened. But I still was personally stretching quite a lot. And I was teaching stretching in my yoga classes. Then a few years later, around 2018, I started to go into this really deep um, uh, practice in yoga and which involved a lot of like seated forward folds um, and holding these poses for long periods of time, five to 10 minutes. And I started to get really worse in my lower back to the point where I actually ended up in the hospital um, getting an emergency. uh, It's like an emergency injection of steroids into your spine. They actually have to knock you out. So it's, it's not like, it's not like, Oh yeah, you're just going to go get an injection. They actually put you under because you can't move while they're doing it. So it's a very serious procedure. And the, orthopedic surgeon told me that I probably was going to need a spinal fusion and yeah. in my lower back. And, Yikes. and you know, at that moment I was around the age of 46, uh-huh. 45, 46. I, I was like, I'm too young for this. This is not possible. Why is this happening to me? And so Anyways, I made a a trip shortly after that to see Eric, and I actually spent about eight days with him. And it was that at that moment that I really saw the detrimental effects of stretching and and how it debilitated my body, how stretching shuts muscles down. Part of um, what MAT does in in their um, in their process is. They get the muscle strong and then they shut it down through kind of like a passive stretch. And um, it's very, very passive. It's non-invasive, but it's still passive enough that it actually will debilitate muscle function. And that was right then and there that I swore that I would never teach stretching again. And, and it, but shortly after that, I asked Eric, you know, I'm really thinking about extending my studies. I want to learn more. Do you think I should do the MAT training? And so I decided to go and do the MAT training, not because I wanted to become an MAT therapist. I just wanted to do it to feed my soul. I wanted to do it just to learn something more. And I thought, well, at least at the at the worst, I'll learn something. At the most, I'll I'll maybe be able to implement something into my teaching. Well, after the first part, the first section of the course, I was like, we need to figure out a way to integrate this into yoga. Like the way that we're doing this in the yoga world is not correct. Um, We're hurting more people by teaching stretching. And there's just a lot of damage that's being done to people's bodies. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that as a flippant comment. There's actual data showing how many, you know, it's quite a lot of people that are going to emergency rooms as a result of, of yoga slash stretching practices. And you can look on Instagram to see like, you know, people, the crazy poses that people are doing. And 
So that's what kind of led me to Ayama, Applied Yoga Anatomy and Muscle Activation, is just kind of a different technique. It's just a different kind of approach into yoga that does not embody stretching or flexibility, but does embody um, how to make muscles work better. So in one of the things that we learned and one of the principles of Ayama and MAT, of course, is that we define um, healthy muscle function by a muscle that has the ability to contract and contract on demand. Um, and that we also recognize that many muscles don't work properly. Um, and they don't work properly because of stress, trauma, and overuse. As we experience more stress in our bodies, that stress inhibits the communication system between the brain and the muscle. So you can think about it like a phone line. Um, you know, there's a phone line between the brain and the muscle. And so when the body senses instability, it tells the muscle to contract. But if the muscle isn't, sorry, if the brain isn't connected to that muscle, then it's telling other muscles to contract, muscles that shouldn't be doing the job. Right. So like if you think about uh, people that have tight hamstrings and and you think like, oh, you've got tight hamstrings. You see, I always call them stiff biff. You see stiff biff in the gym. He's trying to touch his toes. The trainer is like, biff, you need to stretch your hamstrings more. Yeah, I know. Um, but, you know, biff can keep stretching his hamstrings, but they're never really going to loosen. And there, so we have to understand, well, why are muscles tight? This is a question that nobody really ever asked. It's like, why are muscles tight? Well, from a neuromuscular point of view, the reason why muscles are tight is because the body senses instability. You know, you just mentioned um, earlier, you said you were from Iowa, right? And right. so, and so, you know, you were mentioning that, 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 that fall is coming. And one of the first things that happens sometimes with fall is there's a cold snap. You know, everything is really cold and you step outside your door in the morning and you kind of slip a little bit because it's a little mm -hmm. icy. Well, what does your body do when it senses, you know, instability? The whole body tightens up. You know, when you sense danger, you tighten up. So the body is tightening up. Muscles tighten up as a protective mechanism. They're trying to protect the joints of the body. And so from our perspective, we ask, well, why is the hamstrings tight? Well, the hamstrings are tight because the body senses instability. Perhaps it senses instability in the hips, in the knees, because the other muscles are not doing their job properly. Well, what are those other muscles? The glutes, maybe. Uh, maybe it's the uh, hip flexors, like the thigh muscles, the... Um, the psoas, uh, you know, all of these different muscles may not probably are not doing their job properly. So from our perspective, what we look at doing instead of trying to get stiff Biff to stretch his hamstrings and open up his hamstrings, we start to look at, well, what are the muscles that should be contracting and the muscles that should be contracting in this case is the thighs and, um, and more specifically the rectus femoris. So we get those activated, all of a sudden now Stiff Biff has like an enormous range of motion, not through stretching, uh, but through actually engaging the reciprocal muscles properly. Interesting, interesting. So let, 
Yeah, I want to kind of go back to uh, how stretching is harmful here because that mm -hmm. statement right there, right there, is just flies in the face of everything that you're taught yeah. about uh, uh, physical activity, and especially if you're a trainer or a coach or or anything that has to do with um, working out the human body. That statement there is just like it's like <laughs> what stretch? I'm hurting people by stretching them, and yeah, and yeah, you, you're right. And when you do yoga poses and whatnot, a lot of times, depending on what style of yoga you're practicing, you're holding that position there for a good long time. Even three or five minutes feels like forever. So yeah. what, what I want to know is like, how exactly does it hurt or harm you to, to stretch your body? I mean, you got to explain that one. <laughs> There's so much to unpack, Sean. Um, so first of all, I just want to make a statement and says, say that so much in our world and and i'm kind of like going out and i'm going to come back in for a second sure. but i believe that so much in our world is the blind leading the blind you know somebody does something they profess it to be the correct thing to do and then everybody else sort of goes along with it and and then it's like a snowball it just picks up momentum and nobody ever stops to question does this really work um so now to bring it back to stretching um stretching is one of those things that you know, somewhere along the line, people said you need to stretch. And just as a side note, like so many, there's been a lot of studies done on stretching and there's not one study. I've, I've actually done a lot of research into it and diving into it, but there's not one research that says stretching prevents injuries or stretching is healthy. What the, a lot of the studies either say is the results are inconclusive or um, there's a lot of studies that actually show that muscle function becomes debilitated as a result of stretching. Um, there's one done by Lenox Hospital where they did a study and they found that athletes who stretched before they were going to go for their run, before they were going to do their workout, had, um, they suffered from debilitated muscle function for 30 minutes. There's others that have shown an hour and a half. And I have a few ideas about why those numbers vary in terms of like 30 minutes or an hour and a half, but this is the reason why. And so there's a couple of reasons why actually, but one of them is got to do with this sort of passive movement. Um, anytime you start to passively uh, move um, part of your body at, at an access point that the brain then just disconnects from those muscles near at a neuro level at a neuromuscular level the brain disconnects from all of those muscles and it's kind of interesting because you know we're both you know into fitness and and i used to work out a lot but one of the consistent things about me that i started to notice is like i could work out for about two weeks and then i would start developing searing shoulder pain or something like that well what would i do for my shoulder pain do all of these kind of movements, stretch like this, stretch like this, put my hand against the wall and try and stretch my pecs. And the problems would never go away until I actually just stopped and rested. So from a neuromuscular standpoint, the, just, the brain just disconnects. When the, if you move your arm, the brain kind of knows, the brain knows where the muscles are in space. But as soon as as soon as I start to passively move my arm past my natural range of motion, 
the brain disconnects from the muscles. So that's one part of it. Another part of it is you can think like in the muscles, uh, you have what's called muscle spindles. And muscle mm-hmm. spindles um, have a couple of, of jobs, but they're constantly in communication with the brain. So when they need to contract, they send a message to the brain. We need to contract. The brain sends a message back to the spindles. Okay, contract, contract, contract. Well, a muscle spindle is kind of like a slinky. And if you take a slinky you know, out of a box, a fresh slinky, it's all coiled up. That's like your muscle spindle. A healthy muscle spindle is, you know, coiled up, ready to go. And so if you take, um, you know, a friend and you say, take that other end of the slinky and walk away as far as you can. Um, and then you say, let go. Well, when they let go, that slinky is not necessarily going to coil back up. It's going to take a while. And actually, in most cases, that slinky won't coil back up mm-hmm. again. Right. That's what exactly happens with your muscle spindles huh. in your body. When you stretch, you start to move that, that muscle spindle in a direction it's not meant to go. The muscle spindle's job is to contract. It's not to elongate. So what, we're, what we want to do is actually improve that muscle spindle's ability to contract and contract on demand. Um, so that's, that's also part of it. Um, and anytime we start to passively move, um, and stretch, we start to elongate those muscle spindles. We disrupt literally the, um, the, the connection between the brain and the muscle and the muscle is no longer able to contract and contract on demand, which is not what, how we want the body to be. We want the, all the muscles in the body to be able to contract properly. Gotcha. Gotcha. So as an alternative to stretching then, so say if we go back to your stiff Biff uh, example, he's got tight hamstrings and stretching him out isn't going to help. It just makes yeah. it worse. So alternatively, what, what should we do to kind of, should we um, try to activate uh, what you said, the, uh, the antagonist, the antagonist muscles here, should you do like, say like, you know, I don't know, some hula hoops, instead and just start moving around here start getting things firing i mean I, i'm serious i'm serious no no i, I love should, that hula hoop i love should, the hula hoop i mean should he if his hamstrings are tight you know theoretically because his uh, hip flexors and hips are tight then i guess then activating that area of his um his lumbopelvic area that yeah. would actually help yeah so one of the per, i'm just going to Personally, one of the things I find fascinating in this whole conversation about why stretching is killing us in some in some cases, like with me ending up, you know, with a doctor telling me I needed spinal fusion. One of the things that I find fascinating is that this whole idea of agonist and antagonist muscles, um, this reciprocal action, really gets lost in this whole conversation. Um, and so in order for a muscle to relax, or in some cases, what people call stretch, the opposite muscle needs to be engaged. Hmm. And, and so that's, that's kind of like where we're looking at it from a muscle, we can improve our range of motion by getting those agonists. So the like, in this case with Biff, it would be the hip flexors, more specifically the thighs to start engaging properly, to start working properly 
And then once they start working properly, the agonist, in this case, the hamstrings, uh, will start to release. And, and this is just, I mean, it's, it's the law of muscle function. You know, it's something that we just kind of learn a little bit. And then we move on and we try and like create our own sort of idea about how the body should work. Body doesn't work like that. You know, if you keep working on stretching the hamstrings in Biff's case, like say, for example, if you can imagine that Biff is lying on his back, okay, and you say, okay, Biff, I'm going to help you stretch your hamstrings. There's a lot of like, you know, stretching labs all over the place now. People go and get stretched out. So um, you, you put Biff on his back. You, his leg comes up as high as it can. It's probably not even close to 90 degrees because his hamstrings are tight. And you start to stretch that hamstring. Well, you might get some range of motion. You might be able to get that muscle to relax a little bit. But what is, in my mind, what is even worse than just trying to stretch the hamstring is that you're actually forcing his quads to contract beyond what their capacity is. His quads are not contracting properly. And now you're passively forcing them to shorten, if you will. You're mm -hmm. forcing them to shorten. So not only are you, um, are you causing problems in the hamstrings, but more to the point now, what, what should, what you should be working on to get more stability, i.e. the quads, you're actually making the problem uh, a lot worse. And if I look at a lot of my back problems, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of muscles connected to my back problems. But one of the number one issues that I have is weak hip flexors. And all my life, you know, I've, I've noticed like there's certain things I just could never do uh, because my hip flexors were weak. And so I kind of ignored it, but kept stretching my back, stretching my hamstrings, which then in turn made the hip flexors worse. Right. And uh, so I spent a lot of time doing that. But that whole idea, that whole reciprocal action of muscles, it's really, you just want to get the quads, um, the thighs, the rectus femoris, the hip flexors um, to be working properly, to create more stability. What things couldn't you do because of your tight hip flexors when you were younger? Um, there's uh, a few things, but one of them, for example, um, there's a, pose in yoga called boat pose navasana and so boat pose navasana is like when you're sitting on your sit bones and you lift your legs right, right, off the yeah. floor and then you reach your arms up uh right. towards your legs i could never do that and like a um, v sit yeah the v sit like a, like exactly yeah okay. so that's just like one example another example would be like you know if i'm working out in the gym and I'm on one of those machines where I elevate my body off the ground, mm -hmm. um, my feet off the ground, but then bring my legs up. I could never do that. Um, that's, that's also another problem for me. But those were like little signs that I should mm -hmm. have paid attention to had I known um, about the hip flexors and why they're so important that, oh, maybe there's something wrong here. <laughs> so, the, um, so the weak hip flexors meant that you had to – get compensatory action from somewhere else. And that meant putting yes. a lot of undue pressure in your low back. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then to add more problems, um, a lot of the muscles in my lower back weren't working because I was always mm -hmm. stretching. So I was actually stretching these muscles all the time. And then because of that reciprocal action, my trunk 
stabilizers, um, mm. i.e. the TVA, the obliques, you know, the rectus abdominis, uh, so as minor, all of these kind of stabilizer muscles for the trunk and spine also weren't working. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's a chain reaction. I had to do a lot of work on rehabilitating myself. Um, but so, now I'm a lot stronger, thank God. So this is the same principle applied, I mean, to like saying like uh, massage, massage therapy and like, um, you know, um, self-myofascial release, like foam rolling and things like that. Is that the same problem at work there or is that a little different because it's actually, um, it's actually not passive, but a little bit more dynamic where you have actually muscles and being moved and, you know, massaged. Um, I'm going to get myself into, um, a lot of hate if, <laughs> if I get into too much massage because massage is, is you know something that i even enjoy myself um mm -hmm. but i just i you know my teacher greg roscoff always says like how do you know if something is good or not how do you know and one of the ways that we know is by testing so we can test you know muscle function and let me just kind of back up one second and then i'll come back to your question but sure. one of the things that one of the things that I've actually done a lot of testing around is muscle function after we stretch. You know, you can actually test the muscle and mm -hmm. see if it's strong or not, if it's strong or if it's weak. And and sometimes you don't even need to test the muscle. Like there's this one pose um, uh, where you um, you check the, the strength of the glutes. You see what the glutes are doing. And so you lie on your stomach. You bend bend one of the one of the knees, the other leg is straight, and you lift that bent knee off the floor. So you're engaging the glute, right? Well, through muscle activation um, uh, practices, either manually or just by, you know, isometrically contracting the glute and doing that a few times, we can actually improve that muscle uh, to lift the knee higher off the ground. I mean, I've seen it sometimes where. The student can only lift like six inch, sorry, one inch off the ground. And then by the end, they're lifting it up to four inches. So we can improve, you know, range of motion quite dramatically by engaging that. Well, then you put them into a pose like child's pose, uh, which is a very common pose in yoga, uh, child's pose. And yeah. um, then you come back and you look at the their ability to lift that leg off the ground Sometimes, in some cases, they can't even lift it up as high as they could when we first started out. They actually lift it up less. So we can see like the muscle function um, has, uh, has decreased quite, quite dramatically. Um, so we come back to like myofascia release and, and massage. Well, we don't know if something is working or not unless we test afterwards. But one thing I wanted to address is like you said, myofascia release and, and foam rolling. And so many people are doing foam rolling. And, you know, the thing is like stretching and foam rolling, it feels good. And I think that's one of the reasons why people like doing it. Like I love personally going into child's pose. <laughs> I love it. It feels mm -hmm. good. You know, it, does. It, it, it feels good. It, it feels great. And, and, you know, when I, if I was going to stretch my shoulders and, you know, it feels good, there's more opening and, you know, I feel loosey goosey, but the problem is that muscles oftentimes stop working. So the, 
So there's that to consider, but, but more to the point um, that if you're stretching muscles, if you're foam rolling, you would think like I'm foam rolling. There's gotta be like, it's helping the muscle to actually work better. It's actually um, doing something so that I won't have to foam roll anymore. And one of the things that you find is like people that foam roll always have to foam roll. They're never really dealing with the actual problem. One of the number one areas that people foam roll is in the IT bands, you know, the tensor fasciae latte and then into the mm-hmm. IT band. And well, again, ask the question, why is it tight to begin with? Well, there's a synergistic and antagonist um, action between the IT bands and the glutes. Probably the glutes aren't working properly and the IT bands, the tensor fasciae latte is actually contracting in, because the glutes aren't doing their job properly. And what I've often found is people who do have TFL issues, usually once we get the psoas working and the glutes, which are, by the way, reciprocal muscles themselves, agonist and antagonist, once we get those two muscles working, the IT bands completely disappear and people don't have tight, quote unquote, tight IT bands anymore. So that's kind of interesting. So this whole... um... The idea, the uh, the theory of not stretching and not uh, at least not foam rolling, at least not to the degree that a lot of people do. Like if you're going to do it, maybe do it. Uh, if I if I understood that right, if you're going to do it, then do it in the beginning phases of your, you know, your fitness journey, and don't get to, so dependent on it, if if at all. Um, now I do a lot a lot of with clients who are older, like sixties, seventies, yep. and things like that. So, you know, they are relatively, depending on who you talk to, they are relatively in a much more um, precarious state physically than mm-hmm. someone who's just maybe out of shape and is only 25 years old. Yeah. Um, so how would you apply this theory to them in particular? Um, well, I, I, first of all, I like how you're using the word theory. I mean, it's... I. I've done enough testing to see it in firsthand action. Like it's, it's like 99% of the time I just see stretching, hurting people. So, or or let's um, call it method instead. Method. Yeah. I mean, you can call it method, but theory implies like we're still, you know, and we do see like something happening at neuromuscular level. And a lot of, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of actually scientific, um, uh, studies being conducted around this. But one thing I wanted to address to answer your question too, which is important to understand is like, if you are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, something like that, as you mentioned, 25, your recovery time is going to be much faster. You know, you look at gymnasts, most of the gymnasts that compete, uh, in the Olympics are usually very young, 14, Mm -hmm. 15, 16, 17 years old. You never see somebody competing at that level, you know, past the age of 26, 27, very, very seldom. But even with the kids that are, you know, 18, 19, up to 25, you always see them with these ACE bandages, you know, their shoulders wrapped, their knees wrapped. Why is that happening? Because they don't have the muscles to stabilize the joints. Their muscles are no longer stabilizing the joints properly due to stress, trauma, and overuse. And what, what exacerbates that is stretching. Um, so from a, from a neuromuscular standpoint, we want to get those muscles responding. 
But one of the reasons why like those kids can compete so easily is because they respond quicker. They, they, um, their muscles rehabilitate faster. But as we get older, that response time becomes less and less and less. And in some cases, it just doesn't. And with older people, one of the ideas of a yama is that age is really a symptom. And when I'm talking about age, I'm talking about like, you know, the debilitated movement that so many of us feel as we get older, that age um, is a symptom of a loss of muscle function. And so if we improve muscle function, we actually gain more mobility, we gain more strength, um, and we're able to do the things that we want to do. So definitely, I would say like the absolute worst thing to do with older people is to stretch. Um, We want to get them improving uh, that you know, that neuromuscular connection between the brain and the muscle as much as possible. There's a big kind of um, uh, hefty woman, if you will. Uh, Her name is Ginger, and we all call her lovingly Big Mama. And Ginger (laughs) is one of my students, and she's a good old Southern woman. She's big boned. When I said she's big, she's like six feet. And she came to Blue Osa um, shortly after uh, COVID, after the pandemic to live with us for a month and she was helping out in the kitchen. Well, there was at the same time, there was all of, I call them the yin girls. There were these yin girls. There were all these girls that were into yin. They were young. They were, you know, and yin is like when you do certain poses and hold them for long periods of time to kind of open up this myofascia, if you will. And she joined them. And one of the things that they did in this class was five minutes of pigeon pose. I think in sometimes pigeon pose is called like a, a runner's hurdler stretch or runner stretch or something for the glutes. So basically okay. you're, you're stretching the glutes and they did it for five minutes on each leg. And Ginger went back into the kitchen right after that to do her, her work and to help us out. And the next day her back went out um, and it really took a long time to get it working again because she had caused this disconnect between the brain and the glutes. And so, you know, it was the absolute wrong thing to do, but I started to put her back together and I got her feeling better pretty quickly, but it took a little bit longer for her to develop that connection between the brain and the glutes again. The glutes, as you know, is like the suspension system, the support system for the hips and the lower back. And so she was doing all of this work without the support of her glutes. And so all the stress just went right into her lower back. And that's why she woke up the next morning with her back out. Gotcha. Gotcha. So in your classes, so take me through some of the things that you have your students do. So what are your classes all about? (laughs) <laughs> that's a loaded question well, first, you know, first, and, start first and foremost no 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 first and foremost um i uh i it really it really took me a while to figure out a way to bring this into yoga mostly because i'm a very i guess what you would call a traditional yoga teacher i teach hatha yoga i believe very strongly in the power of yoga so the question was like, how do we start to integrate this? Well, as sure. I started going through uh, my anatomy training in in muscle activation technique, because so much of it's anatomy and it was broken down into um, different sections. But as I started to dive into it, I realized like, oh my God, you know, the spine, you know, we rotate. So there's rotator muscles, right? When mm-hmm. we're doing 
and in yoga we call them twists and then we do forward folds in in biomechanically they're trunk flexors uh there's back bends which are trunk extensors and then there's side benders uh which in yoga we call laterals and then hip extensions come into the back bend category and hip flexion comes under the forward bend category and what i started to what where the lights started going off was like okay how do i start to take these yoga poses and bring some of the principles of of ayama into these yoga poses so let's take for example back bends um mm-hmm. and and take one of yogis most yogis favorite pose which is wheel pose so wheel pose um which is when you're kind of you know right coming into a wheel and what most yoga teachers if not all yoga teachers will do to prepare for this is to stretch the quads <laughs> stretch the abs uh stretch the upper back so you do all of these quote unquote heart openers to you know stretch the pectoral muscles and what i started to realize was not only was that actually causing more pain more problems because i would do you know a practice like this but i always went into the practice feeling like i was straining my joints a lot of times my knees would hurt i couldn't stay in wheel very long because my knees would hurt my lower back would hurt my shoulders would hurt and one day i was close to when i started this journey of of looking at different postures and how do we start to implement this i realized you only need three postures to get into wheel pose you need to do something to activate the glutes to activate the lower back and then to activate the upper back muscles and i put it into test and i was able to go up into wheel for the first time in my life without any pain and actually sustain it for a long period of time so first the first step is to flip the script how do we what muscles are actually engaging if you think about like this pose in yoga that's very popular triangle pose normally if you come into child po- triangle pose which is a side bender the teacher's always saying like feel the stretch in the side of the body that's opening but from our perspective we're not concerned about that we're more concerned about engaging the the lateral obliques on the side that you're going into engaging the ql um and shortening those muscles properly and then the reciprocal muscles will start to let go um and then but not only do you are you able to go into the pose you have more stability so if a lot of people like that come into triangle pose for example and you ask them like they have their hand on the floor or the hand on the shin and you say okay lift the hand off the floor can you do that a lot of them can't do that properly or they can't do it without straining muscles in their lower back or other areas of their body compensatory uh muscles so from our perspective what we're trying to do is to engage the muscles better in in the direction that we're flowing if that makes sense okay okay yeah gotcha so when the people come down in the, now is it like when they come to your uh, resort or the retreat there do they come by do they sign up is it like a membership is it like an application they file or something like that they come to you with all kinds of different um different ailments and things that they want to have help with like they couldn't have relief anywhere else is 
Some people do come and work with me here at Blue Osa. They they get a package and they they'll work with me there. But I primarily um, do the work that I'm doing through my yoga teacher trainings. Um, one of the most interesting things I find consistently is people when they come and do t- trainings with me somewhere between day six and day ten, um, they become pain free. Um, so my my jam, my real big passion is to lead other people into teaching this stuff um, and implementing it in their yoga classes. That's kind of like my big jam right now. Um, right. Uh, maybe it'll transform into something else later on, but I love leading yoga teacher trainings um, and, uh, and kind of, you know, sharing what yoga can do for people. Um, but also to begin to bring in these kind of techniques and show people how to bring them into into their classes. And it doesn't have to be like a big production. We can. There's so many ways that we can seamlessly uh, bring these techniques into yoga classes um, by following some simple rules like no child's pose, no stretching. But then also when we come into a pose, pose approach it from an active um, um, perspective, and then, and then also from the perspective of like looking at what muscles are engaging rather than, you know, not using words of like releasing <laughs> right. or focusing on, on what's releasing. So right. people generally come to Blue Osa for the teacher trainings. That's, that's where I really oh, okay. focus on. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So have you, has it, uh, have you noticed uh, it's catching on like worldwide, this uh, muscle activation techniques or you know, being more and more integrated into yoga practice and things like that? It is starting to. Um, I mean, I have students from all over the world. And uh, one of my students from Norway is begging me to come to Norway and do some workshops. And I have a few others in Germany at this moment. Um, It is slow. You know, people, whenever I tell people that they shouldn't stretch to eliminate child's pose, they kind of look at me like I'm the crazy cat lady, you know, Mm -hmm. and go, oh, you're so sweet. That's nice. (laughs) So a lot of people have, um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of um, uh, beliefs around stretching that we have to break through. You know, I, I produced my podcast called Stop Stretching. And Mm -hmm. in doing that, we interviewed a lot of people and some of those people were my students that came to my teacher training and we interviewed them like the first day. So before they were kind of, you know, affected by what I was saying, we wanted to get like their honest opinion. And one of the most interesting things I found was that in, in most people's minds, they associate stretching with health. They associate Mm -hmm. stretching with youthfulness. They associate stretching with vitality. Um, You know, you don't have to look far on the internet to see a lot of people in these kind of beautiful yoga poses um, that involve, you know, stretching. And and definitely there's a degree of flexibility. Unfortunately, what you don't see in those photos is the pain that that person experiences. Like a lot of people that have that range of motion are also in in a lot of pain. Um, And so I think that, you know, in order for us to break through, we just have to keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, but also experimenting with it. Like instead of teaching uh, clients, you know, doing stretches, 
ask yourself, how can I um, improve the range of motion? So I want to offer something to you, Sean. Like if you have a client that has quote unquote tight hamstrings, remember how I was talking earlier about putting them flat on the ground, you know, they bring their leg up and then you would push their foot. Well, instead of pushing the foot, maybe have them bring their leg up, not so much, and just either hold it there so that they're really engaging the quad or have them come to their own range of motion and bring your hand just below the shin, like like right at the ankle joint, and, and then say, I want you to push into my hands. Now we've moved away from passive, we moved into active, wow. and they're actually engaging the quad. This is how we can do it. Or if somebody is folding forward, you know, and you want to really help them, like, you know, I had this one student, Mary, uh, and Mary was like, I just want to touch my toes. I'm 50 something years old and I just want to touch my toes once in my life. That's one of the reasons why I'm at yoga teacher training. I want to touch my toes. So I got Mary up and she, you know, had her hands forward and we checked what her range of motion was. All I did was I brought my hand just below her collarbone on her chest, just above her mm-hmm. breast. And I said, Mary, just push gently. Don't push with all your might. Just push gently into my hand. Um, And then we followed the uh, muscle activation protocol, which is doing it six seconds. Do that for six seconds. So you perform a, a moderate amount of isometric contraction for six seconds, and you do that six times. What are you doing? Reconnecting the brain to the muscle, right? So you did that six seconds, six times, and we got six inches of range of motion with Mary just from engaging the core properly, just from improving the abdominals ability to contract properly. So, but by, I'm sorry, by doing these things, we can, and showing people, we can start to flip the script. Right. So instead of by forcing some range of motion, some, you know, trying to, you know, really kind of push someone's body into becoming more flexible, we're actually engaging in like isometric workout here where we are tensing tensing the very muscle that we're trying to um, trying to activate and then releasing it after a certain amount of time. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Six seconds, six times. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense because I have seen that in my own practice uh, mm-hmm. even with just, with just myself here too. So instead of stretching, like say, I, I mean, cause I do stretch a lot before I do my own workout, you know, it's, it's a way of how I kind of awaken myself up in the morning, get sure. my brain going, that kind of thing. So before I do my own workout, would you recommend instead of like stretching, should I do like say something like something very dynamic, like jumping jacks or something like that, where everything is just firing all together or something like that? Well, I think that before doing jumping jacks, do some, do a few things. Like, for example, I, I, I um, have a few programs out there and they alternate different muscles each day. I would just take three or four um, different muscle, muscle groups that you want to work on and just do some isometric contractions and then go and do jumping jacks. Because wow. this is the reason, because you could be going into jumping jacks and, you know, you're pretty athletic, fit you know, you're probably more on the younger spectrum. That's my opinion right at this moment. So I I, I think I am. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you're a little bit more resilient. Maybe jumping jacks works for you, but if you get like, 
you know, somebody with a compromised neuromuscular system, yeah. like, 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 you know, big mama ginger, or even, I mean, I had a person in my training, um, tw- just this past week, she's 29 years old. Her name is Lisa, very fit young woman. However, she was dealing with serious um, pain right at her TFL, actually. Well, what did I say about TFL? TFL, that's a symptom usually of the psoas and the glutes not working. So maybe coming into bridge pose, doing some uh, dynamic bridge pose and activating those glutes first. Whenever I go to CrossFit, there's a few things I always do religiously. One of them is to activate my my transverse abdominis. So I'll usually do some low plank, do six seconds, six times, um, and really focus on engaging the core. Uh, another one that I love doing is a pose called um, locust pose in yoga or Superman pose where you lie on your stomach and you mm-hmm. lift your legs and you lift your um, chest off the floor. You hold right. that six seconds, six times. That is, by the way, my pose that I, I say, every single older person should be doing every single day of their lives. Do that six seconds, six times, because what do we see in older people, um, debilitated uh, muscle extensor, sorry, back extensors not working properly, right? And then Mm -hmm. the other pose I would do is bridge pose. And then I would do the jumping jacks because now you've got some stability uh, in the body. Um, and that's going to be much more valuable than than stretching those muscles out, which is then going to cause more um, debilitation in the long run. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that makes perf- that makes perfect sense to me because I I do do those things to a certain extent, but I have like this regimented stretch routine. You know, in the morning I do this. Actually, I did things a little differently today. You know, I I got out of bed. And, you know, after I went to the bathroom, when I came out and I did like 20 burpees, just, just yeah. to, you know, something completely uh, on, on schedule and out of the ordinary. It's like, oh, nice. okay, that, that was nice, you know? So yeah, I get what you're coming from. So yeah. yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me. So, so let's go through like a hypothetical. Let's say I'm a brand new member, brand new client, I've come to your retreat and so what am I in for here? I mean, what do you do? <laughs> well, in my teacher trainings, um, what we normally do is we start and we go through the different uh, uh, movements of the body. So we mentioned like forward bends, back mm-hmm. bends, twists, and laterals. And as we go through all of those um, movements, we go through what are the muscles that are responsible for that movement. And so one of my greatest passions in, in yoga teacher trainings is to teach yoga teachers about muscle function. Uh, one of the things I think detriment in the yoga world specifically um, is that yoga teachers do not understand muscle function at all. They think they do. Um, and because their sort of viewpoint is, no, the yoga teachers do not understand muscle function at all. Like I said, they think they do, but they don't. And so my passion is to kind of reintroduce yoga teachers to correct muscle function or to muscle function, but then also how to improve muscle function. Um, so that's what I focus on a lot. And, and then, of course, one of the roles of a yoga teacher is to teach, learn how to teach yoga safely. We're basically teaching mm-hmm. people how to move safely, teaching people how to breathe. Um, and so that's what people can expect. Um, we go through all of like the different yoga postures. We talk about what muscles are working, how to improve the muscle function in those postures. 
and also different hacks and tricks on how to improve range of motion. Uh, one of my favorite um, poses to do that is triangle pose. Um, this kind of pose is very popular in yoga. And it, what we do, there's a little hack that I use to get people deeper into it. And it's a simple QL hack, like engaging the QL, which is a very hard muscle to isolate. But once we get that working, people statistically usually improve the range of motion by six inches in that pose just by engaging like this little muscle. So doing stuff like that, we start to see how do we improve range of motion? Because that's what a lot of people want. But more importantly, how to create stability in the poses. Um, I love leading the yoga teacher trainings as well because they uh, really guide people into a yogic path. So everybody's getting up at five in the morning to meditate, to do practice, followed by morning silence, followed by you know a big long talk and yoga practice. Um, and then we do some things in the afternoon. So it's it, people kind of like start to shift, as you will, their momentum, um, which then has a great physiological and spiritual impact. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so going on the mind muscle, as we're going to start to wind down here, but just go touch again on the mind muscular connection here. Um, a lot of us tend to believe that you know if we concentrate our effort, if we're doing a workout or whatever, if, if like I say I'm doing a, a bench press, which is working the chest, right? If I focus my mind squarely on this area here, it's like, now think about your chest expanding and then contracting, expanding and contracting. As you're doing this workout, you intensify that, that amount of focus on there that you will have triple the effect from the workout. Do you find that's the case? This is an interesting discussion because in yoga, we're always looking at improving the mind-muscle connection. Mm -hmm. and and so there's um i always forget how to say this correctly so you might have to you might have to remind me pro proprioception the proprioception yeah you said you said it right yeah <laughs> i um, <there's> some <laughs> terms that i'm still like grappling with with my yeah, dyslexia I, I had i had i had to practice that a couple times too, to get that right so proprioception <laughs> proprioception yeah that's a tongue twister yes um <laughs> say ischial tuberosity and sternocleidomastoid several times too. But anyways, aye, aye, aye. No way. <laughs> aye, I love that. But yeah, so one of the things in yoga at a very kind of physiological level, when we talk about mind body connection, I kind of had a light bulb moment just yesterday around this, by the way, that's why I can answer this question differently today than I probably would have yesterday. But what we're actually doing in yoga is improving proprioception, which mm -hmm. is kind of ironic. On one hand, we are. On the other hand, we're actually making it worse because anytime we stretch, that proprioception, which is that brain-muscle connection literally, is actually severed. Um, the brain doesn't know where the muscle is in space. So on one hand, we're improving it. On the other hand, we're not. Um, and what you're just talking about with bench press, I love bench pressing. I love working out with weights a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I don't do heavy weights. I just do it more for tonification and improving strength. But one thing I do, Sean, is I always make sure that my pectoral muscles are activated first and right. actually my, my uh, trapezius. So I'll do some stuff with bands um, mm -hmm. just to get those activated 
And so when you talked about like, oh, I'm thinking about my techs, it's not, that's not the level we're actually, that's not going to just, just thinking about it is not going to necessarily improve that neuromuscular connection. Um, so you really want to do something where you're connecting the brain neurologically to that muscle. And, and it shouldn't be a lot of weight, by the way, like you're, you don't need a lot of, lot of tension to do that. Actually, less is always more. Um, in, in MAT world, when we're doing isometric contractions, the rule of thumb is always 10% effort. So that should tell you, like, it doesn't take a lot of isometric contraction to get that muscle working. But if you really wanted to make sure, like when you're doing benching or anything with the shoulders, that you do something to just do some muscle activations before you're doing those exercises. Um, so that way, neurologically, your brain is connected to the muscle. But what I also find interesting is that by doing the muscle activations, the proprioception, the proprioceptors mm -hmm. actually improves quite dramatically. And there is a heightened sensitivity. Right. So a lot of people have desensitized um, that, that connection, and this actually improves it. Yeah, proprioception and like passive seems like two conflicting terms to me. At least that's the way I've understood it. Because proprioception, you know, I think it has to do with your your body's awareness through time and yeah. space. Sure. And and that is that involves movement. Yeah. And so just like hanging out in one position for five minutes isn't going to help proprioception. Doing something like walking backwards, that would help with proprioception. Because, mm -hmm. you know, that and because walking backwards in itself is completely against anything you do in your normal, act, a, a, you know, normal daily life. Yeah. You know, just you're used to having your eyes in front of you and you walking forward. So walking backwards where you can't see what's going on behind you, you know, and you have to monitor your every step. You know, it's just something totally different here. So, yeah, you know, staying staying static and proprioception doesn't make any sense to me. So, that, so what you just said is perf clicks perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the one hand, we do improve proprioception with students, you know, like you say, bring your awareness to your pinky toe, try and move just your pinky toe only. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of, those kind of like drills or exercises are, are useful. And, and then of course there's stuff that other things that we do in yoga as well. Like, like I always kind of joke that people don't know where their heart is, you know, you say lift your heart, people go like this. So <laughs> they just lift lift their head and look up. And lift your chest. But you're really saying lift your chest. So there from that perspective, we are improving it, but then we're also damaging it, as you just said, by like staying statically and passively in a pose for a long period of time. It actually physiologically ruins proprioception at a muscular, right. neuromuscular level. Totally agree. All right, so Aaron, as we wind it down here, so one thing I like to ask my guests is that uh, if there's one thing that people listening to this could walk away from, if they remembered nothing that you said, if you want them to remember this one thing, what would it be? <laughs> Stop stretching and start activating. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There, there's the whole podcast in a nutshell right there for you folks. <laughs> start, Just... stop stretching, start activating. Yeah, and when you're when you're when you're when you're taking CrossFit or something, and your teacher does always the stretching at the end, just skip it. 
It's much more effective <laughs> to do like a short walk than it is to stretch. It's just, you're already activated. Why would you turn all those muscles off? So stop stretching. <laughs> stop stretching, start activating. I think that that's a good, that's a good place to end it there, man. All right. Well, um, Yogi Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. It was You're a very real pleasure. This, this was great information. This is right up my alley because I'm interested in movement and, you know, kinesiology and how, yeah. how best, how best to facilitate those kind of things here too. And, and, one of the reasons why I actually come on here is I saw, you know, this very iconoclastic approach to uh, yoga in particular um, and throwing stretching out the window there too. Like, I, and I heard you say, like a lot of people will go like, uh, well, yeah. you know, I, I kind of, kind of like that kind of stuff here too. I like the, uh, you know, the, the challengers. You know? Yes. Well, we're, we're, we're trailblazers, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you... forging forging new paths in the world and creating awarenesses where there was none, so um, no, or all, little. All the, right, all, all all the power to you because we need more of it out there. We need more schools of thought there too because you know the stuff, like you said, it tends to it catches it catches on and it hangs out there for twenty, thirty years and just kind of you know just marinates and everyone just takes it for granted, and then someone else breaks through. And yes, then, and then that's how we uh, that's how we continue to learn. So these things should always be in a constant state of evolution. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, folks, there you have it. There's the latest episode of the, uh, the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, and don't forget, um, you can purchase courses from me online here. I'll post those in the show show notes as well. Um, for Aaron, if you want to contact Aaron, I'll post information there, social media connections, websites, and I'll make that available there too. If you are interested in taking the next step, you want to learn more about Aaron here, you want to learn more about his practices, yeah, I know I am, so <laughs> <laughs> I'll, post, I'll post the information where you can best get a hold of him. All right? So thanks so much, people. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Sean. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps, and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. You never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.